0: a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much.
2: You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It
0: was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him.
1: Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.
2: Warning, this episode contains graphic descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The first first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
3: Um, and so for months, I used to think, well, I bet that, you know, whoever dumped her body was probably in those woods and us, and is now gonna come find us. So in my mind, that meant that we had done something that would upset the killer.
4: Hey guys, welcome to the first degree the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And Billy, I did want to bring up the fact that I started reading your book.
1: You did. And I
4: feel proud.
1: How far did you get?
4: I'm on the Bear Brooks Murder chapter, oh, really? the when the bodies in barrels chapter yeah. or whatever it's called. So
1: you know about my childhood right now.
4: I do. And I was telling Alexis earlier that you are such a beautiful writer, and especially when you talk about your dad. It's so sweet, and I, I think you did like, such a wonderful job. Thank you so much. And I really enjoy it. It means
1: a lot. Thank you. Yeah, it's I wish great. I could meet your
4: dad. I know. <sighs> I know. He seems like a great guy. but it's awesome. Yeah. You d- I'm really excited to read the rest of it. I am doing it for... We have a, a book club podcast on the Lady Gang Network called The Stacks. Mm-hmm. And I recommended that we read the book for that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So if anybody else is reading Billy's book and wants to have a little chat about it, I'll be talking about it on the stacks coming up so it's kind of exciting awesome thank you so much yeah oh billy is emotional
1: i am a little emotional right now it took a lot well
4: we're all so freaking busy i haven't read a book in years (laughs) so it was about time and you know what i'm gonna start reading audiobooks or
1: listening to audiobooks
4: because it's basically like listening to a podcast but then you feel smarter because you
1: said you've read a book Mm -hmm. you can say you read a book with that absolutely
4: oh my gosh right it's it's
2: a life hack
4: seem smarter. Listen
2: See, honestly, though, if I was listening to Billy on the audiobook,
4: I would be so distracted. Well, it is kind of funny because I, I feel like I should talk back to him. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? yeah, You know? I'd be would, like,
4: Billy, you
2: sound like a fucking idiot. Yeah,
1: You'd be like, but really? Yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. Because, but, like, but if but it was Billy someone else, I'd be like, wow, Billy's brain is fascinating, but because it's his voice, <laughs> it is a very
4: it, troubling. It is a very Just, interesting let's thing. Just
1: listen to it at one and a half speed, and then it'll sound like
4: Oh, yeah. do you talk too slow?
1: Should- no, no, but it'll it won't sound like me. It'll sound like somebody that is me but
4: on cocaine. cocaine. On, <laughs> on cocaine. <laughs> I love it. So I didn't talk about it last episode, but we are still doing our competition to win some free first degree merch by giving us a five-star review on the Apple podcast app. So when you do it, leave your Instagram. We'll be picking two a week and you can pick out whatever you want from
1: the merch store. That's right. Whatever you want. Not just like, oh, we've got these three things. Get a sweatshirt. They're the most expensive. That's true. (laughs) So what's today, Billy? Billy. It's National Comic Book Day.
4: I knew you were going to pick that you one. You
1: knew I would pick that one. Duh. Let me ask you, ladies, what was your favorite comic book growing up? Never read a comic book in my life. Ever?
4: No. no. What would I read? Wonder Woman was mine. Did, Did you actually you ever read, it? read, or are you read saying a you book? Of course, course not. It's the only
2: one about a woman. And or Catwoman. I know you so well. Yeah. Well, I, I was making a facial expression where it was obvious. <laughs> I've never. Do I look like I'd read a comic book?
1: <laughs> All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna get you guys some comic books. It's also. No, thank
2: you. I'm decluttering.
1: It's also National Lobster Day. That, was that my interests favorite.
4: me. That interests me. Because What's you guys delicious like butter. Lobster, ro- lobster is my favorite food. Lobster is one of my surf favorite surf and turf, things. or a seafood tower. My favorite foods. Oh, I just tower. love like a good lobster or lobster roll. Lobster rolls amazing. Mm. A lobster sushi situation. Lobster hand roll from Sugarfish is good. Ooh,
1: okay, but it's also National One Hit Wonder Day.
4: Ooh, you want to know my One Hit Wonder s- story? Yes. MC Hammer can't touch this. No, he had
1: no. He's not a One Hit. Wonder.
2: How many did he have? Name another one. Well, he's also broke. Name another one.
1: He can't. Um, one Hit Wonder. No, he, the Adams Family song.
2: That's not his yeah, family. Yeah, it is.
1: Do what you do. Do what you want to do, 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 do Yeah, the Adams family. Yeah, he did the, the Adams family are you for the movie. C.
4: Hammer wrote the Adams, not family the original about? Adams family oh. song, but right. the one for the movie. Then no,
1: <laughs> yeah,
4: no, that doesn't count. Okay, can I tell you my one-hit wonder story? Yes. Yeah, I used to hook up with um, <laughs> one of two twins that used to be I in know a this. one-hit Jaren. wonder. <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> It sucks when you work with one of your besties <laughs> it was, He was in a, ni- a 90s old He had a bad rock. back uh, He had sciatica so
2: <laughs> She's like, I think he's too old for me He can't sit up straight I'm like, what? Well, I went
4: over to his house one day and Was he it was, Right
1: Said Fred? What? I'm Too Sexy? Was it that band? No, no, no? Okay. it was
4: right. Evan and The. What
1: was that song? Just
4: a, you're just the girl I'm looking for I don't know. It was a 90s like, alternative mm-hmm. like pop song.
1: No, they're not.
4: But it was a one-hit wonder. That it. was that was their most popular song. So. yeah, At least they had one.
1: I heard that Delilah playing Y.T. song. Hey there, oh, oh
4: Delilah. I love that one. Oh, cool. you, They used to come to our house yeah. and hang out at Pink House. Demar.
2: And so did the guy from... Uh, a lot of guys, Take did. a look at my girlfriend.
4: Oh, He's the only one I yeah.
2: got. Gym Class Heroes. Yes. yes. He used yes. to come over, too.
4: Yep.
1: Okay, but that was not that take a look at my girlfriend thing That's from Super Tramp
4: Yeah That they sampled it for yeah, That's it good Yeah they were great Anyways Alright well That's enough of that So let's turn down the lights And turn up your anxiety
1: Because this Could be you
2: Today's case takes us to Birmingham, Alabama, the heart of the Deep South. Birmingham's official website describes the city as nestled at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains at the cross-section of two major railroads. The city was once the primary industrial center of the southern United States. At the height of the nation's manufacturing age, the city grew so fast in population, it was... Maybe ironically, maybe not so ironically called based on today's
4: case, the Magic City. The Cahaba River is the longest free flowing river in Alabama, one of the most biologically diverse in the U.S., and considered by many to be the most scenic rivers in the country. At the time, this area was serene, remote, quiet, and isolated. In July of 1986, a 14-year-old named Elizabeth was running for track practice, and she and two of her teammates were running down a remote road that intercepted the river. In July
3: of 1986, me and two friends of mine from Briarwood were running summer track with Mountain Brook. Uh, Mountain Brook is the public school, and we were running track with them for the summer to get ready for cross country, uh, ninth grade cross country in the fall. And it was a run anywhere you want day, or free run day. So we were running through the neighborhoods of Mountain Brook. Mountain Brook's a very affluent uh, suburb of Birmingham. Nothing really bad, quote unquote, ever happens there, um, at least that you, you would see. So we were just running with abandon, you know, not scared, just having a good time. We were singing the moody blues song, What's Upon a Time in Your Wildest Dreams, at the top of our lawn. Um As we got to the very end of the big hill that goes up to the high school, uh, we came across a bridge.
1: As the teenage girls ran across the bridge, something compelled Elizabeth to stop and look over the railing at the riverbank below.
3: At that time, it was a totally remote area. The bridge had wood surrounding it. Um, so we decided to walk across the bridge. And on both sides of the bridge is a little, a little walkway. Um, so we stepped over um, on the side of the walkway and just randomly looked over the bridge.
1: And what she saw was beyond her comprehension and it would change her life forever.
3: And down at the uh, bottom of the rocks, it was just a rocky bed. There was not any water. Um, There was a woman laying there, and she was spread-eagle. Her legs were apart. She had blood on her, and she had blonde hair, and it it was kind of back and i remember just looking at her and thinking wow why is there a mannequin lying there on those rocks with ketchup on it it just doesn't make any sense to me and i my mind just kept trying to make sense of What was going on? Because that's what your mind does in a traumatic situation. And so that's what I kept coming up with. It must be a prank, a football prank or something. They've thrown a mannequin with blood. Um, I was frozen in that spot. I couldn't move. My friends at some point did start moving. Then they came back and got me. They ran for help. So we ran up the hill that goes towards the high school. We knocked on the first house. No one answered. Um, the second house we were knocking on and actually the lady drove up at the same time that we were knocking and for some reason she did not believe us and uh, she thought she was going to have to go check it out herself. That was uh, probably a mistake she wished she had not made. The police swarmed the area within minutes
2: and news trucks weren't far behind them. And responding officers ran through the potential scenarios from the bridge when they were looking down, observing, this body beneath the bridge. Could this be a suicide? Could this have been an accident? But once police got closer to the victim, it was clear that this was no suicide, this was no accident. She had multiple sharp force injuries and her body had been terribly, terribly mutilated. She was nude except for some tattered knee-high pantyhose and they could tell that she had been there for less than 24 hours based on the condition of the body one other thing they could glean with their naked eye was the fact that she ran for her life before she was murdered. The pantyhose that she had on were shredded
3: on the bottom of her feet. The crime scene was like not, it's not like it is now where things are like taped off immediately. It was kind of a lax lax crime scene at the very beginning um, because we're just sitting in the middle of it. And at one point, I'm the one that was sitting on the curb and looked down and said, hey, there's a trail of blood right here. Elizabeth
2: pointed out to the police that there were smears of blood on the bridge. They instantly theorized that she had been thrown over by whomever had killed her.
4: As the news trucks continued to arrive on the scene, murmurs of the victim's identity could be heard. When one of the reporters arrived, she was absolutely horrified to realize that she recognized this victim. She was a beautiful, blonde, 26-year-old named Tracy Shotlin. Tracy had actually interned at the reporting news station years before when she was in college.
1: And Tracy's family didn't know about the murder yet. But they knew something was wrong. Because Tracy hadn't come home from work the night before. And they were worried sick as to why. And they were trying to track her down. Tracy was always on time. She was extremely responsible. And she would never just leave or disappear without any sort of explanation. And there's no doubt that Tracy's family was devastated upon receiving the horrific news.
0: The
4: police learned that Tracy was extremely ambitious, was about to enter into law school, and dreamed of becoming a lawyer. She was so determined that she'd taken the LSAT multiple times so she could get in. She was a type A person who strived for perfection. Her long-term goals included graduating from law school and working with people who were underprivileged. She had been saving up for things she needed for law school by waitressing at the South Point American Cafe, and that's where she had vanished from the night before. Tracy's body was taken in for autopsy, and it was conducted the day after
2: her body was found on July 15th. The coroner found no presence of alcohol or drugs, and he identified three stab wounds to the upper lobe of the left lung, one stab wound through the heart five stab wounds through the liver and two stab wounds into the stomach area the stab wound to the heart area was found to be three and a half inches deep would have caused death in less than one minute I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline.
4: Dot com and use code first for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code first, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S dot com, code first.
1: There was a defense-type wound to her middle finger where a tendon was cut, and there were several anti-mortem head injuries, including bruised lips and eyelids, a chin abrasion, fingernail marks, and an indication of running injuries. Remember we had talked about that with her pantyhose? yeah. Mm-hmm. There were three stab wounds to the neck that were found to be consistent with wounds inflicted by a dull pocket knife or a letter opener. There was anti bruising to the left nipple consistent with pinching, as well as anti impact abrasions. We're talking about a total of 19 stab wounds, 14 of which were located between the left breast and the left abdomen. So that would indicate, potentially, just looking at this... Overkill? Overkill, but also mm-hmm. a right a righty.
0: Oh.
4: oh. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there was a bruise to the right thigh and a rip which extended upward from the rectum and the vagina into the pelvic area. And this latter injury consisted of a vaginal tear and massive blunt force trauma to the area. And both of these were also anti-mortem injuries
2: and anti-mortem means you're still alive when it happens Hmm.
4: they concluded that Tracy had been dead at least eight hours prior to the discovery of her body and the day after Tracy's autopsy she was buried at Elmwood Cemetery in Birmingham there were hundreds of people who attended the funeral and a lot of them were strangers who simply wanted to comfort Tracy's family after hearing the horrific details of her murder
2: There was an outpouring of support from the community, but with that comes an incredible amount, an outpouring of media coverage. Because things like this just didn't happen in Birmingham, Alabama. This was not just another typical homicide. Panic started to sweep through the streets when people learned of the manner in which Tracy was killed. It's something that was like a punch in the gut to everyone in the community. Who would do this and why? I mean, we're dealing with an incredible amount of fear because it wasn't just she was stabbed until she was dead. There was a ton of mutilation. It it seemed driven by something sadistic and scary. And, you know, this is the wholesome Bible Belt community. They just did not know what to think about this. And Elizabeth was experiencing the effects of what she had seen and witnessed
3: so after finding tracy's body i started to have nightmares where we you know my mother at the time decided it would be a good time to have me read the ted bundy book my mom a little bit sometimes we could say is maybe not of the soundest mind um thought that would be like a good way to you know really help me understand what was going on out in the world um and so I immediately, though, started um, from, you know, just would have flashbacks of the, the image of the body and it would come over and over and over and it was not, not pleasant at all. I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, then I would, like I said, uh, wake up screaming. I was terrified.
1: So the police start their investigation, and they're trying to first piece together Tracy's movements from the night she went missing. She had told her coworkers that she was exhausted, and she was going right home. She left. She walked towards the post office, which is a block away, where she had parked her 1973 black Chevy Monte Carlo. So they figured out that Tracy probably made it to her car. So she must have encountered something between where she was parked and her house. And they went through her inner circle, the men she dated, friends, family. They got nothing. All they learned was that Tracy was beloved. She had no enemies. She wasn't involved in anything nefarious. Every road that they went down was a dead end. And her murder was really starting to look like some type of random encounter.
4: So the scene where Tracy was found was processed for evidence. And they concluded that this place at the bottom of the bridge was not where she had been killed. So this was not a crime scene. Instead, it was a dump site. It was also 1986, which meant that DNA was in its infancy. There was not much that they could find that was really that helpful. And... No DNA evidence was found. Her clothes were gone. There were no footprints. There was blood on the bridge that suggested that her body had been thrown to the bottom, but that's it. However, there was one speck of evidence that was found on Tracy's body. And that was a single piece of reddish glitter that was found on her knee. And glitter is pretty obscure. They had no idea what to do with this or how to really use it to find the person who had killed her.
3: I think what also... Made it um, even more horrific as, as details started to come out. You know, her vagina had been gutted. Um, she had been stabbed either 17 or 19 times. Her breast had been sort of like bitten a little bit, and you could see that from the bridge. Um, and then there was the glitter they found on her. So then it became in the community a hysteria of. Is this a witchcraft thing? Because in the 80s growing up, everything was all about Dungeons and Dragons and serial killing. Or, are, are, you know, do we have a Dungeons and Dragons witch murder going on?
1: But there would be one more significant piece of evidence that would come up. A woman named Lily Daniels, she had read about the victim's murder and was walking to a store on the city's north side when she found the victim's partially burned driver's license on the ground. And she immediately called the police, and the police came and got it. And the cops spoke to her parents and learned that Tracy always kept her license on her, in her pocket instead of in her purse. Police decided to hold back this info, so they didn't release this to the media.
2: So the public caught wind of some of the details of this investigation, probably because some of it was leaked on purpose so they could try to find a suspect, and probably because, I mean, the rumor mill was churning. So the notion that this could have been a random encounter horrified them, and they had learned that nobody in her immediate family or friends had been zeroed in on as a suspect. And everyone was worried that a serial killer could be on the loose. Could this type of murder happen again? And seriously, the entire town was on edge and believed that the next person
3: was going to turn up dead any moment now. It was the biggest murder that had ever happened in Birmingham. And when I say biggest, I mean the goriest, the most coverage. Tracy was very beautiful. She was white. She had blonde hair. And as we know, unfortunately, those tend to be the crimes that get most coverage in the media. But the fact that she was, uh, that Tracy was dumped over a bridge in Mountain Brook was just very, very shocking for everyone. People were, they had their guard up. People were hyper aware. And it was really, really terrifying because they did not find the killer.
2: Okay, so very interesting. I personally was very curious about what glitter could be used for in terms of witchcraft. Because I see glitter as, like, a very commercially produced thing. When you think witchcraft, for me at least, I think, like, a bundle of sage or, like, frog's eye or, you know, (laughs) it was, like, the things that they used in Hocus Pocus where they throw random... Organic stuff in, but apparently glitter.
4: Glitter is just not is something that you would. It doesn't have a connotation of not witchcraft.
2: with like pagan or witchcrafty no, thing. Glitter is
1: what you associate with a strip club.
4: Basic beds no, or crafting,
1: or
2: which or, I'm a or, fan of. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, so I googled what glitter could be used for in, in sort of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So according to a post in the Witch Circle, Ooh. which is a message board, it says also glitter acts as a booster. Of sorts to amplify intent and to explore effectiveness. Typically, the addition of glitter, and when they say effective, effectiveness, they mean of a spell. Right. Typically, the addition of glitter is best utilized in money spells as it is symbolically more festive and celebratory. However, for spells requiring more of an instant razzle dazzle, which is one of my favorite terms yes. attracting new love, nailing a job, interview, it doesn't shy away from serving its purpose. Plus, as it burns, it can be used as a form of divination, much like tassiography.
1: Tassiography is a method for fortune-telling that uh, uses tea leaves or coffee grounds or wine sediments. Oh, so are
2: they thinking like you throw some glitter in? Because it's all about where the water throws these pigments, Mm -hmm. sediments.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I think that's what they're going for, yeah.
2: Interesting. Well, you... Ladies who have your glitter left over from your glory days, you, you know what to do with it start now. A spell exactly,
4: Jacqueline. Did you have a question? Oh, my question was just that uh, glitter. I believe is plastic, and burning plastic creates toxic fumes. I think is glitter
2: like metal, and I think it's
4: is a little metal
2: or is it just plastic?
1: I thought it was magic.
2: <laughs> oh, I thought it was yeah. uh, uh, fairy tales and moonbeams.
4: Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, yes, rainbows and sunshine.
1: But so what's going on here is that this is we're in the mid eighties, and people heard glitter, and people heard witchcraft, and they went right to the devil worship and Satan. What was going on now? We had uh the McMartin case, which was a big case in California, uh, in in California, California of um uh, uh, the this daycare that was being mm-hmm. accused of molesting children via witchcraft. You had uh, a little bit later on, you had the Ricky Casso case mm-hmm. in, in New York, New York, on Long Island. You had all of these cases where, and there was so much of what they called satanic panic. Yeah. And and we're also, for here, we're in the Bible Belt. So this is going to be really scary for everyone.
2: Well, and these are the people who are hyper reactive to it. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like you see a, a, a heinous crime and then you hear the person is listening to, to music that has like, the mention of Satan or this or that, they're gonna immediately jump to like the devil, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in coastal cities, we're less susceptible to that, even at this time. Yeah. I mean, clearly not because the McMartin case happened in Huntington in, yeah. a, in a beach city. But I feel like back then, when this happened, given the like unnecessary mutilation
4: of the body and just the shock value, you know. No, listen, well, and it- since something like that. Crazy of a murder hadn't happened there in ever, quite a while, ever. like that. It's not just like somebody turns up dead under a bridge. Like there's a lot more to that. That is horrifying for everybody around. Yeah, right.
1: and that's the, you know, we're talking about Birmingham, and Birmingham is one of the the most racially divided
0: cities ever,
1: and also conservative. And there were a ton of of mm-hmm. of horrible crimes that had been committed there, but when they saw something like this, um, and God and the devil and everything is so much of a part of their life mm-hmm. on Sunday, and then that branches out, that's where they're going to go. They're going to point to it, and they're going to say, you know what? This can't be something that happened with a quote-unquote regular, regular person. Uh, You know, they would do r- really bad stuff to people of color, but for oh, yeah. them, they I would mean, be like, yeah, for them, they'd be like, no, this can't happen here. This has to have been committed by somebody that was under control of the Satan. devil, yeah. yeah.
3: And it was such a big deal on the news all the time. You know, we hadn't found the killer. Most groups and bodies in Birmingham history. When are we going to find the killer? When are we going to find the killer? And it became a thing, really, where the media was soaking the fear of the community. Um, and... So for months, I used to think, well, I bet that, you know, whoever dumped her body was probably in those woods and saw us and is now going to come find us because they had said that the police had said, you know, if we hadn't found her so quickly, they wouldn't have been able to get an ID that quickly and be able to work on the case that quickly. And there was no um her body hadn't uh, decomposed at all so in my mind that meant that we had done something that would upset the killer
4: Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're gonna step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries estate State Island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android June needs your help detective download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android Fuel up fast with factors restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat
2: whenever you are no prepping, no cooking or cleanup needed There's over 35 different options to choose from every week including calorie smart, protein plus and keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50%
4: off. So as news of this case permeated, witnesses from the night Tracy went missing started to come forward. A man named James Dudley Parker came forward and told police that he had seen Tracy after she had left for work that night, and she was even still wearing her uniform. James knew Tracy because he'd worked with her at a restaurant a few years back, and on the night he'd seen her, they were at Tom and Jerry's convenience store at a gas station on the south side of Birmingham. He saw Tracy enter the store right before he did, and he stood in the cashier line behind her and watched her buy two quarts of motor oil. They acknowledged each other briefly, and then she walked out and was going towards a light blue car.
1: And when James Parker left the store himself, he looked toward the left, and he saw a man in a 1969-1971 to 1971 blue Datsun or a Toyota. And it seemed like the man was waiting on Tracy. And he took a good look at him because he assumed that this was probably Tracy's boyfriend Well, or and husband. Tracy
2: was beautiful. Right, yeah. And so. she's like, he's he said more in depth in an interview. He's like, well, you know, I worked with her once. She was this pretty girl. And I wanted to, like, see what her husband or boyfriend, what the deal sure. was.
1: it's the same thing as Googling. Absolutely. Know, who, who people's uh, significant others are. So, the following day, when James found out about Tracy being murdered... He calls the cops right away as you should as you always should and he gives a description of the man he had seen that was that he thought was waiting on Tracy. He described the person as a white male 30 to 32 years old with a dark uh, with dark hair worn in a ponytail. Now the police had something to go on and they had a place to start looking for clues which was Tom and Jerry's gas station.
2: Right. So the police go to Tom and Jerry's and they speak to an employee there. And that employee tells them that, yes, he remembered a blonde female around 26 who was wearing a restaurant uniform coming in and asking for assistance and selecting two quarts of motor oil. They then found Tracy's disabled black Chevy Monte Carlo nearby on 18th Street on the south side of Birmingham. But before doing this even, I mean, the guy who worked at the gas station showed them, it was back in the day when you had a cash register that just spat out mm-hmm. the long strip of sales. Mm-hmm. So we showed them, like, listen, like, it was like sixty nine for each court, and they showed them, like, this was the sale. They, they had a timestamp. I mean, it corroborated exactly what this other witness had said, right. which made him very credible and uh, made them believe the account of the person Tracy was with even more. After they found Tracy's car, a mechanic inspected the vehicle and found that it had a bad starter and that, you know, once it was cranked, fuel would run out of the fuel pump and the engine would stop running and that they also found that the car was two quarts over filled with motor oil. They asked Tracy's family about this and the dad in this, it's heartbreaking because it reminds me of my dad because... Every time I have a problem with my car, I call my dad, but the dad said, you know, I taught the one thing I taught Tracy was how to fill her own oil
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's the only thing she knew how to do. So if there was something wrong with her car, she thought she was out of oil or mm. low on oil and it just, you know, when something was wrong with her car, she it went, had
1: to be oil. Yeah. It had to be oil and yeah. she went and she
2: got oil and she tried to refill it herself and it was like the car was two quarts over. Like her car was fine, but she's yeah. like, oh, my dad taught me it's oil. Yeah, And she tried and it just breaks, mm. breaks my heart. So police, you know, were, were canvassing this entire area and they then eventually found two empty quarts of oil. Well, you know, oil cans with price labels like those in a 55 gallon garbage can near where her car was found. So, at this point, they're starting to piece together a theory. Tracy left work, but sometime on her drive home, her car broke down. There were no cell phones back then. So, think about this. Your only choice as a woman, your car breaks down. Do I accept help from a stranger, or do I walk somewhere? Oh, God. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. Those are your only choices. Both would be considered now probably a high-risk choice. Yeah, absolutely. But you don't have another choice at that time. So, those were her choices. Um, and basically they believed a stranger picked her up, offered to help her, brought her to buy oil, and then went back to her car with the oil. When the car still didn't start, the stranger offered to drive her home. And sometime between then, because they know the oil went into her car because her car was two quarts overfilled. So they know that she made it back to her car. But sometime between then and when she was supposed to be driven home, she disappeared. So they have a good theory. And they believe that that's when she was killed.
4: Over a handful of weeks, James Parker assisted in making a composite drawing of the man that he saw. He reviewed hundreds of photos of mugshot books and accompanied members of the sheriff's department on several occasions to Southside Night Spots in an attempt to spot the man that he had seen on the night of the murder. James Parker was even put un- under hypnosis to try and shake some loose memories or identifiers of the suspect from that night, but nothing ended up working.
1: And we've talked about this before in other episodes, but, you know, something that I despise <laughs> was was starting to come into this investigation. And it was...
2: I think it's important for this episode. It's another thing. It's 86 to... to- to put us in the correct time. Understood. This was commonplace. We saw this in Katie Beers. Yeah. No, and, they, we, yes. and this was like, this was big in Katie Beers. It was like helping to solve it. And this was later than this. Yes.
1: The so- only reason why I like it is in a sense, and what we're talking about, everybody, is we're talking about psychics. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in it, but what it does for, for me, what I, what the only reason why I think it's okay is because it gives the local press another thing to write about and keep it in the yeah. consciousness, keep it, keep it in the news cycle. Oh, a, a, a psychic came or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much denounced right now, but you're right, Alexis, in the 80s, it was like, oh, a psychic came in. And they were they were using psychics back in Boston Strangler. They had a psychic. 90s, Yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the sixties, they they had no sixties, so.
2: no doubt. Seventies, yeah. no doubt. Eighties, no doubt. Nineties, they were still doing it. Two yeah. thousands, it had subsided. Yeah. However, it was one of the top shows. Like Long Island Medium was still topping charts past twenty ten. Well, people still believe it. I mean, of course. But I'm saying, like, it's not. It's it's crazy when you think about it in terms of police work now. Yes. But it only became like quackery in the nineties, late nineties.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they start calling, and especially given the circumstances of the case, because we've got the glitter, the devil worship, the severe mutilation of the body, and also the intense media coverage. So they're all coming out of the woodwork now. Mm-hmm.
2: Of course, because they probably feel compelled to, based yes. on their like clairvoyance, their goodness. So months passed, and... Any new leads were coming to a halt. So they had nothing to go off of in terms of who or why or what or anything else. They looked for prints. They looked for everything that they could given the limitations they had as far as their technology. And they had nothing. All they had was this little speck of glitter.
4: It had been months with no movement in the investigation when another bizarro psychic kind of thing came in it was November 4th uh, when an attorney named Bob Sanford called the detectives working on the case he said that his client named Tommy Bradley claimed to be having quote visions from God related to Tracy's murder case and he wanted to tell them all the information that he knew So the next day, the police met with Bradley and his attorney, and the attorney said to the police that Bradley would happily share whatever he knew as far as his visions if the police would tell them why he was being followed. The police were super puzzled by him because he was not being followed, especially not by them, and the police at this point were thinking that he was probably suffering from a mental illness, possibly experiencing some kind of a paranoia. So they did a cursory interview, but nothing this guy was saying was really holding any weight and he also didn't share any info that wasn't already publicly uh, accessible by the news and the media
2: right and you see this a lot when you find for example if if there's a child found you've got like 200 people coming forward claiming to be their lost mother i mean for some reason when when these kind of cases that are highly controversial come into the spotlight it it resonates with yeah
1: And especially back then, too. Remember, we're talking about the 80s, before -hmm. the internet, before everything. You you see it a little bit, you see it less now. Back then, though, when things weren't Googleable or whatever, you would have people that would try to inject themselves into Into, the story. mm
0: -hmm, mm
3: -hmm. His face, he was sitting in his car, the driver's seat, and he looked at her, she wanted him, to take her somewhere to buy something for, to to fix her car. He thought that she would be able to get in her car
1: and 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 get home. She knew not to go out with him, but she, she took a risk. She trusted herself to keep herself safe. She's in the car.
3: There's a a, a knife there. She knows he's going to use it against her, and so she starts to do what he wants. He had this state of mind. I sure about how go plan. He took her to Tom oh. he to his,
4: his, uh, you know, chair and, and he, he
2: So what you just heard were some very, very old and poor quality audio clips from the interview with Tommy Bradley. And as you can hear, he says some very creepy stuff. He believes the killer was in a state of mind where he wanted a girlfriend. He talks about, Tracy going to buy oil, about her going to Tom and Jerry's. But these were all things that had been reported on widely in the local newspapers. So is this creepy? Yes. Is it a smoking gun? Does it implicate Tommy in any real way?
1: No. You know, they had this interview with Tommy Bradley, then they had another call, and Bradley, uh, this was two days later, Bradley was making even more stranger claims. And the police thought it was odd, and they still didn't know what to make of it
2: right because i mean they had been receiving all these calls from psychics i mean how do you know how to differentiate what to yeah, you,
1: but you have to run everything down
2: of course and they did they did and so in the months that followed these calls the police were following leads but they never took their eye off of tommy bradley because they had a weird feeling about him mm-hmm. and the detective kept rapport with him and decided just to keep him talking because they had no idea what he would eventually say. And Tommy Bradley seemed like oddly invested in it. And they just got a weird feeling. It's the same thing you get when they anticipate criminals coming back to the crime scene or coming to vigils. Like this guy had, he was like a moth to a flame in terms of this case. And this rapport kept going for months. And even though, tommy bradley hadn't shared anything explicit as far as things that weren't available to the public he had this gut feeling and he was just going to keep this going
4: so with this revelation the police are starting to think that this guy could be a viable suspect so who is he exactly thomas paul bradley was a 26 year old from the center point area of alabama which is a suburb of birmingham yes He had gone to the local Bible college, and he was extremely religious and belonged to a fundamentalist church. He wasn't married, and he had recently been divorced and had no kids. But could Tom Bradley really be Tracy's killer? And he was good-looking. I mean, he he was like this attractive sort of
2: baby-faced, mustached, very ordinary-looking guy. So they didn't know. I mean, he was kind of like a Bible-thumper dude, and it was sort of anyone's guess and that's the thing it's like is he just this fundamentalist is he really seeing visions from god or like is there something messed up about him that we're reading too are we reading into this too much Mm -hmm.
1: so the detective he's got the rapport with him and he asks him sort of like nonchalantly have you had any other visions about Tracy's murder and tommy's like yeah So they meet again two days later, and he said he actually uh, believed that he could take the police to key locations from the murder. So over two days, he takes them around all these different locations in Birmingham, in the Birmingham area, and he actually points out the exact location where Tracy's car had been found, which was not released to the public. This is something that they they hid to the public, and he also directed the officers to this bridge, and that was the same um, one that Tracy had been found beneath. And when they arrived there, he asked the cops. He was just like, "Stop the car!" And then he proceeds to speak in tongues, and you know, just sort of doing this sort of gibberish, unintelligible sounds for. 30 to 40 minutes while he's gripping the dashboard and the door handle. They all get out of the car, and he explains that the victim's body had been thrown from the opposite side of the bridge where it was actually found.
2: Right. So the police are just like, oh my God, because it's all adding up. I mean, this guy knows things that no one should know, and they're not sure if his... Dramatics are are his uh, attempts at like feigning psychic ability or or feigning innocence. I mean they're all trying to read his body language, but like in what he's doing, but no one's doing in that successfully because it's just very bizarre. but they had very, very many conversations with Tommy, and they were all recorded, and on these audio tapes. Tommy Bradley describes visions he had actually as the killer. And in one recorded session, he said, and this is a direct quote, he's seen girls that he thought were attractive enough to go out with, even if he had to kill them before. And before we continue, I, I think we should bring it up. He, he's like an OG insult.
4: Yeah, he really is an OG incel. He's an
2: OG incel. And the more we learn about this, I mean, I don't think we should get into a conversation. I think we should do it at the end. But that hadn't occurred to me until just now. But let's get into it after.
4: Right. So he also gave graphic details about the murder and Tracy's final terrifying moments. He said, quote, she knew she was being killed when that, you know, when that knife started in her the third time and she uttered her last conscious, willful, volitional thoughts to God and towards herself and towards her friends and mother at that time. And that was that, I don't know what's happening to me, but I want y'all, I want y'all to find this guy.
2: So these interviews with Tommy Bradley continued and one of them he said something that essentially sealed his guilt in the eyes of law enforcement.
0: Yeah,
2: what Tommy Bradley says there is there's something else about her license.
3: He, he might, he might it, he
2: and that the killer may have burnt it with a cigarette lighter. He,
3: he, he he to it by
2: it. So Tommy said that in one of his visions, quote unquote, he could see that the killer burned something plastic like the victim's driver's license and threw it out on the road. And this is one of the only pieces of information, like Billy said earlier in the top of the episode, when Lillian came forward and talked about finding the driver's license, they did not release this to the public. This is not something anybody else could know. But what Tommy said was, you know, he found he, he saw in a vision that this driver's license had been burned, whether it's by a lighter or a flame, something to that effect. And that, you know, the fact that he's privy to this information that only the killer would know, it really uh nudged the police in the direction that this guy was involved. And he also knew that Tracy kept her driver's license in her pocket, in her jeans. Rather than in her purse wallet. And that is something that just her family had told the police. He also knew that Tracy read The Power of Positive Thinking, the book. And that's something that the police also learned from her family. And uh, it's something he recounted over and over again when he said to the police what he saw in his visions. And there's no way that Tommy Bradley could have known these things had he not been the killer himself.
1: And luckily for the police, Tommy kept doing something that you want your suspect to do. You want them to just keep talking. And he keeps talking. He talks about these visions of the murder for 20 hours. He describes in detail about how the killer came upon this woman, how he told her, you know what, I can help you out, just get alone with me, how he beat her, how he abused her sexually, and then how he killed her. He stated that the killer had come upon this disabled vehicle, that he came up to her and said, I'm going to help you. And fixed her car and then expressed concern, though, that you're not going to make it home. So I'm going to take you when you come to Tom and Jerry's, where we'll buy oil. And then he waited there for her in his car and then offered to take her home. And then she said, yes.
2: He's basically giving the police like what they're already theorizing that happened. And he continued. He said that Tracy tried to run. And this is a direct quote. That when the killer, and when he says the killer, I mean, this is essentially a confession. Yeah. When the killer realized that the victim was performing sexual acts only to save her life, he began stabbing her. That she started fighting him. That as he was killing her, he shouted, you ugly beast. That although she appeared to be dead after the third stab, he continued to stab her eight to 14 more times to make sure that she was dead. That he then mutilated her internally, probably with an unusual knife with a big wooden handle or with a comb, that he performed witchcraft on her, that he took from her neck a gold chain with something hanging on it, and that when he realized that she was dead, he professed, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I killed you. He said Tracy knew, quote, she was going to be killed, that it was inevitable, And that the Tracy had authorized herself to be killed because she had willfully sinned. That the killer's motive was less in revenge based on a girl in his past. Incel. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Based on a girl in his past. Get a grip, dude.
4: Yeah. And in these conversations, Tommy Bradley described the killer as someone, quote, like me, as having an above average IQ, being well versed in the Bible and strong willed. He said the killer loved blondes and loved to inflict pain during sex. And he also made sure to highlight that the killer was very concerned about his mother not finding out about the crime. He said that the killer, quote, feels that his mother would be very disappointed in him. And that the killer had been molested by his mother when he was a very young child, and that the killer would come forward right now and be executed on public TV in front of the whole world if the killer could keep his mother from finding out he had done something like this again. Wow. We
2: have to stop because it's very reminiscent of um, our last two episodes, yeah. mm-hmm. and you see this a lot in these sort of these mother hangups.
1: Yeah. Well, listen. One of the most famous. You know, and it, and it, it's fictional, but it does have a um, Oedipus a Ring of Truth. Well, no, I wasn't going to go with Oedipus. I was going to go with Psycho.
4: Okay. Oh you yeah, know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know,
1: of course. And, and
4: it does have like a lot
1: of truth in there. It, it really does. Yeah, you know,
4: the relationship with his mom. We talked about this in the last episode, mm-hmm. though, that there are so many killers and serial killers that do kill like pretty strongly related to it's mommy slanted the mom. Yeah.
2: What's interesting about it, and I, you hear all the time with women, like, daddy issues, daddy issues. You don't hear mommy issues that much. Mm-mm. Because men either bury it yeah. or they carry it out. <laughs> it's true. It's either you don't even know they have mommy issues because they just don't date a lot or they're, like, sort of loners. Or just...
4: It, or it, they... It's so it obvious. It manifests in, like, an extremely volatile way, exactly. obviously.
1: Yeah. So the police start digging into... They're a suspect. And they learned that Tommy was a former former high school chaplain. As a teenager, he was described as quote, nice looking, clean cut, and religious.
4: He is good looking. He is good
1: looking. So they approached, he had actually had an ex-wife, and they approached the ex-wife to speak to her about Tommy. And what she said was that two years before the murder, when they were still married. She was inside Tommy's car and had seen a little bottle of red and pink glitter. When she asked him about this, what's this glitter about? He said that he used the glitter to perform witchcraft. Which is the first time he'd ever mentioned anything about witchcraft throughout their entire marriage.
2: So, with this revelation about the Glitter compounded with everything else that they had, the Birmingham Sheriff's Department finally felt like they had what they needed for the arrest they had been waiting to make. Tommy Paul Bradley was taken into custody at his family's home. And he was charged with the capital offense of committing the murder of Tracy Shotland during a sexual assault. So once Tommy was in custody, it shone a big spotlight on him the flood gates opened and people started coming forward, having their own experiences with him. And um, a woman named Jody Thompson came forward and detailed a chilling encounter she had with Tommy Bradley. In the early morning hours of June 25th, 1986, Tracy went missing on July 13th, just for some perspective. So this is like two weeks, three weeks before while Jody was driving home on the Red Mountain Expressway from a Southside bar, Tommy in his automobile attempted to force her off the road by ramming her car. A high speed chase down the US highway ensued, in which Jody's car was bumped several times by this person, and she was eventually forced to stop. Jody rolled down her window at some point and exclaimed, What on earth do you think you're trying to do? And my theory is, That's like the PC version. She's probably like, fuck you, motherfucker. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. He was trying to kill her. So I'm sure there were expletives involved. She could see that the man who was trying to ram her off the road had his penis out and was masturbating. So she immediately rolled up her window and locked her doors and sped away. Tommy again chased her down at high speeds. But when Jody brought her car to a screeching halt, Tommy zoomed away. Jody thought she was safe. She turned her car around and started driving back to Birmingham. But suddenly, Tommy showed back up again, ramming her once more. Eventually, she stopped at a traffic light, and um, he got out of his automobile. Luckily, her doors were locked, but he got out with his pants down, his penis fully exposed, and began banging his fists on the window of Jody's car and muttering something unintelligible, presumably speaking in tongues. Finally, Jody sped away and she lost him. She reported the incident to the police, but can you imagine not having a cell phone and this happening to you? It's so scary. Especially in like the backwoods roads of Alabama. Listen, at least where I grew up, like, like Long Island, certain roads, someone comes by every five to 10 minutes. Yeah. These roads are even worse than what I'm used to, which is five minutes. Yeah. This is like every 20 minutes, maybe, maybe. you got yeah, someone. May- maybe. This guy is ramming her, stroking his penis. It's like she knows this is a sexual offender. Like that, what I just read, is my nightmare. Yeah, that's terrifying. And uh, with no cell phone to call for help,
4: you think you're about to die. Mm. It's just a nightmare. So not surprisingly that's not the only incident of him being a fucking creep another local young woman named Kathy Ledbetter came forward she had yet another ominous story about him at 5 30 a.m. on July 10th 1986 three days before he murdered Tracy yeah Kathy was on the south side looking for a gas station and she approached a car asking the driver if he knew where she could find one he said that there was a gas station open a few blocks away she said thanks and left didn't think anything of it and while Kathy was driving to find this place she noticed the man was following her in his car when she pulled into the gas station parking lot he pulled up right beside her and she could see through the window that he had his pants down and was masturbating she called him a sick motherfucker and ran him to the building and tommy drove away thank god
1: and it didn't stop there so the first one was in the last week of june the next one was on july 10th And then on July 12th, there was a woman named Karen McKinn. And she said that, and this is the night before Tracy's murder, she stopped at a Southside convenience store to use the phone. And she was attacked by Tommy. She said she walked past um, while she was on her phone. And then suddenly out of nowhere, he grabbed her face and slammed it against the window. And he then grabbed her chest and ordered her not to scream. And then, but Karen screamed anyway, which he should always do, and just started hitting her with the payphone uh, receiver. And he had his pants down. He actually fled. And Karen reported this to the police. So what we've got here is he is, he's ramping up.
4: He's He's going
1: from the last uh, week in June uh, to... You know, three days before the attack, a day before the attack, and he's he's, he's trying. And
2: also, he's beaten in the face by a payphone mm-hmm. with the last person he attempted to assault, um, which might just, like, amplify his
4: frustration. Well, and these girls, not that they keep getting away, but he's not... Having the conclusion that he wants, so he's probably getting more pissed off.
2: And you know he's probably strategizing like, oh, I'm not nice enough. He's fuck. It's trial it, and
4: error. It really upsets me because it's it's all within three weeks. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, because he's thinking like because obviously Tracy would not g- have gone into his car if, if his he pants tried, were down,
4: or if he tried to just like grab her head and yeah. bang it against a window.
1: So no, there was there was something between finesse. He's, being he's yeah, finessing yeah. his approach. There was yeah. something between those those episodes where he's thinking. I can't do this. I can get this person in a vulnerable position if I don't have my pants down. Right. Which is insane. It's disgusting.
2: So given we learn about the women who come forward and given what we know about the evidence that we have, the arrest is obvious. The indictment is cemented. Now, what the prosecutors needed was a conviction. And that would be a little bit harder to cement, as it always is, as even innocent people go free. But 59 witnesses total were called to testify, including his ex-wife, Ruth Miller, who we mentioned earlier, who talked about the glitter. And like we said, she mentioned the glitter. She mentioned that he was a devout Bible reader, that he was fascinated by blondes, and that he dabbled in witchcraft. And according to an article for the Alabama Journal, she said on the stand, he told me he liked blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls and that he just liked to have a lot of sex. But in addition to that, during the trial, jurors also heard these hours of confessions that were taped by the Birmingham Sheriff's Department, and they listened to everything he had ever said. So not surprisingly, Elizabeth, who had discovered the body, who had discovered the blood on the bridge, was called to testify.
3: The DAs decided that one of uh, the three of us had to testify. I'm I'm also the one that found the blood, and I I hate to admit this. There's such a sense of like teenage shame that goes along with this. But when like this huge case was going on and this huge, you know, all these articles and everybody's talking about it. There's as teenagers. There was a tiny part of me that was like, man, this is a little bit cool. You know, I found this this body, and I'm gonna testify, and and you know, and and I, I hate to even admit it, but it was something that I kind of thought was cool. And the day of the of well, actually, the day before, and it started to get a little more real. So. I went to testify and the advice I had been given was just don't look at him. Don't look at Tommy Bradley. So I was like, all right, I'm totally not going to look at him. Um, went out there, terrified, any coolness that I thought about being able to testify was completely gone as soon as I sat down and raised my right hand and I thought, what, Who, why, why would you even think this was cool at all? This is horrible. Elizabeth could see
2: Tracy's family sitting in the front row of the court.
3: You know, I saw Tracy's family sitting there in the first row. They're they're crying. They're real. Everything became extremely real. And she found herself
2: staring into the eyes of the killer himself, Tommy Bradley.
3: Um and, of course, immediately I look over to my right and there I see Tommy Bradley. And he's just a strange, strange looking fella. He kind of, I mean, he looks quote unquote normal, but but he, he didn't at the same time. I mean, he had flipped back hair intentionally, he was young, he was 26 or 27. He had kind of a baby face and I think that's one of the things that struck me, though, was his baby face, but with these eyes, and the eyes were just, like, hollow. It literally felt like they had nothing in them, no emotion, nothing. And I kept looking at him, and he would just keep staring at me in this in this way that, to me, just felt so creepy and so terrifying. And again, um, after I testified, I would think about it all the time, like, oh, great, he's not going to kill then we're finding the body soon he's going to kill me because now he knows my name and the name that's been in the papers and now you know he's going to get out of jail and he's going to escape and he's going to come and he's going to murder me and what was I think alarming to me is how I could not not look at him he would look turn around and look at the audience or the I guess you call them the galleries all the time and kind of
4: freak all of them out and they'd because that's just not normal behavior. Tommy Bradley was convicted of capital murder and he was facing execution by the electric chair. However, the jury and judge spared him the death penalty and he was given life without parole.
2: And Tracy's family went up to Elizabeth's mother actually after the trial and had some kind words for them.
4: My mother
3: said at the very end of the trial that the Shetland family came up to my mother and introduced themselves and of course she knew who they were and they just said you know we just wanted to thank you so much um for you to extend your thanks uh our thanks to your daughter for finding our daughter so quickly we're so grateful that we could get her as quickly as we could and get her home with the lord and um we're just so sorry that she had to see her in that condition and we wish that she could have met her under a different uh under different circumstances and they talked about what a lovely woman their daughter was and i just remember you know even now it makes me feel a little bit cheerful just thinking of this family that has lost their daughter their pride and joy she had entered law school she was at the you know peak of her life and they're such a kind family that what do they think about is me I've thought about them many, many years um since then, and um I know that the brother is still alive um and so I'm thinking about writing him a letter and just telling him what his parents did, but also explaining how I have used in some ways his sister's death for positive and to help other victims of sexual assault and sexual violence in my career as a psychotherapist.
2: Yes. So after this experience and after experiencing this trauma at a young age, and she also experienced some other uh, very traumatic events in college, Elizabeth actually decided to pursue a career in psychotherapy to help others. And not only did she help, you know, survivors of rape and sexual violence, like she just mentioned, But her own traumatic experiences allowed her a way to connect with veterans about some of what they are going and
3: have gone through. And then also, surprisingly, been able to help veterans uh, where I work with soldiers who've come back from war um, through just the very, very small understanding I have of finding one body and knowing how much seeing one body um, messed with me and screwed me up and thinking about my soldiers who found multiple, multiple bodies, some being their people they knew, some being their friends, some being, you know, mass graves, some being people that they've never seen in their lives. Um, but it gave me just a teeny window of contact, but it 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 did help out a lot in terms of being able to relate to the veterans as well
2: it's really incredible that Elizabeth managed to turn a horrible traumatic situation that she experienced when she was 14 into something meaningful. We've both read the book by Viktor Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, the theme of that book is you find meaning in your suffering, great or small. It is the way to take the power back. And Elizabeth, you managed to do that as well as help keep Tracy's memory alive. So thank you.
1: So what did we learn today? You know, he- he definitely has. When you're looking at him, could could he have been a serial killer? That, that that's the question. Probably. Fuck yeah! I, he was definitely. It is. He was leading up he, to it. He
4: he confessed to it when he was talking about how the killer. It, he didn't want his mom to yeah. see him do this again. Like yeah. that's. Well, right, and, and, and he, the way that he it, had attacked women.
1: Yes, he, and he didn't he, follow he, through. He, but he, he, yes, he, he was he was ramping all of this up and
2: masturbating while women were driving next to him yeah. it's just like this he's sick. this impulse it's like a organized lust thing yeah. that he's just he's just not it, smart enough to control it
1: but, but it's weird though that he does control it w- with his last victim and he does say that like i can't do that stuff i've got to keep it in control because what are you he, talking about because he doesn't have his pants off because he had his pants off with every to lure her,
2: her in to lure Tracy. her in. Yeah. Oh well, no, he wised up.
1: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. Oh, though. Right. So so he had he, incro-
4: he he's he, like, he, oh, I can't have my dick out. I just have to. Well, kill he her. had
1: the wherewithal to do that to which, control right. his
4: impulses enough yeah. to actually get her in the car, which
1: shows that that you know and he's we, adapting. We yes, and we often talk about
4: well how many times you're gonna try to approach a woman masturbating and thinking they're gonna get in the car with you
2: literally every time punch you in the face and call the cops. no yeah. woman
4: in this fucking world would be like this looks like a great car to get into while this guy is fucking <laughs> Dude, that's off.
2: what i always say i when i'm walking down the street and a truck drives by me and whistles and honks i'm like has that ever worked for you learn Ignore me and I'll get in your truck,
4: <laughs> motherfucker. not make out with another girl in front of me, and I'll get want to make your out truck. with you. <laughs> Listen, I passed a guy recently that was masturbating next to me. It's it's way more common that you than you would think. That's the thing.
2: It's like that is such scary behavior. It's not like oh this guy's just a creep. It's
4: like no, that is well, so they abnormal. Cannot, they cannot control themselves sexually, and that's fucking. Dangerous. It's always going to
1: escalate. Control.
4: It's control for sure. All right. Well, a big, big thank you to Elizabeth for being our first reconnection and sharing your story. And trusting
2: us with your story. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for the work you're
4: doing with our veterans. Yes. Yeah. We appreciate it very much. So much. Um... If anybody listening is one degree away from a murder or other stranger than fiction story, please write us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. You can write us on Instagram at First Degree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Go buy some First Degree merch on our website. We got lots of fun stuff up there. And again, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and enter to win some merch. All right, so welcome back to our second installment of Killing Time. And you're not even going to try to say The Killing Time. The Killing Time. (laughs) (laughs) Killing Time. The Killing Time. Okay. Well, I made a post on our secret Facebook group. If you guys are not a member of it, please join asking what you guys want to hear us talking about. And I think for our first, second episode of Killing Time... Everybody wants to know how we know each other and like how we became this. This, this. That's a fair question. Yeah. yeah. Alexis, would you like to uh, explain how you and I met?
2: Yeah. Um, our... Mutual best friend Anna, I met in the line of Big Wang's when
4: I was 20 years old. <laughs> which was a shitty, shitty bar on Cahuenga. Where I used to go all the time with my fake ID. It was the only, one of the only bars that would take my fake ID. The bouncer,
2: Steve, would just let people in with their <laughs> fake IDs. All the time. And then Steve's I had my 21st there. birthday there, and he was
4: like... What? You're not 21? And I'm like, what? You didn't I, know? I had the same thing there. Yeah. I, I'd been going for three years. And then finally I turned 21. And I was like, hey, Steve. I'm 21. <laughs> he was like, wait, what? He's like, I thought you were Courtney. <laughs>
2: um, so I met Anna in the bathroom and then we all just started hanging out. And then Jack and I moved in together in this crazy house in at the base of the Hollywood Hills in Franklin Village. We called it the
4: Pink House. The Pink House. And we had just the craziest year. Of, of our, our lives. It was <laughs> it was glory days. It was like a frat house. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a sorority house. It was it like was a, a frat, frat house. house. It was disgusting. It was dirty. Well, we were just having a good time. We had parties every day. Parties? The upstairs wasn't dirty. It wasn't clean.
2: It was it wasn't dirty.
4: It wasn't clean. (laughs) When I moved out, we had a rat that lived in our house and I had gone on the warp tour like over the summer. And when I came home, there was rat shit all over my room. And then I never went in there. I like left all my stuff in there. I was like, this is (laughs) (laughs) is it. All right. I guess I don't own any of this anymore. It was fun. It was fun. And then Alexis, how do you know Billy? So
2: Billy and I met Actually, the first time I ever saw Belly was at the Smokehouse.
1: That's right. What's the Smokehouse? The very famous Smokehouse, which is a—it's a restaurant slash bar, very old school, outside of the Warner Brothers lot. Oh, I don't know. So it's where it's where like deals are made and everything. And and I think actually we were we were just talking about uh, names of production companies and things that we've got. Yeah. I think. George Colleen's production company is called Smokehouse. Oh, really? Because of the Smokehouse, yeah. Oh.
2: Well, it's actually an interesting story. So I was working on a show for the Golden State Killer prior to the arrest. Yeah. And it was at the same time that Michelle was, I think, still working on her book when we were still in way Mm pre-production. And um, where I was working somebody maybe a colleague of mine named todd was like you know this billy jensen guy i'm like what about him ew and they were like well (laughs) maybe maybe we should meet with him i'm like i don't know okay and um i followed billy on twitter and i had like five followers like i didn't really have a twitter yeah and billy like wanted nothing to do with me
4: (laughs) isn't that right really like went before you met her or After you met her, before (laughs) (laughs) Before. he's still trying to get away from us. We kind of just have him like in captivity. Before
2: (laughs) he saw me, and he was like, "Nope, (laughs) I want nothing to
1: do with
4: this." (laughs) Did you? No,
1: it's pretty much true. (laughs) Did
4: you? Did you take Alexis seriously when you first met her? Because when I
1: first met her, yeah, you did. So I met her with we met at the smokehouse with. Ale- and Todd. Alexis and joke and Todd, but it was it was clear that Alexis knew more about the case than than joke and Todd.
2: Well, uh, no, Todd knew the most.
1: All right, well, I was new what about Golden
2: State Killer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Tana Todd told Michelle about it. Yeah, like so, ten years before.
1: So I was. Uh, so I we, was the most w-
2: like amenable.
1: So we met. We, yes, we met. We met there, and it was uh, it was fine. It was lovely, but um, then what happened?
2: uh billy thought that i was sent in as a pawn to try to coax information from him
1: (laughs) (laughs) You would. he
2: did he's like this is like a young attractive girl Uh, she's trying to steal my that's what he thought no way and then we
4: became friends
1: then we became friends i do
4: remember i don't know if this is before you met billy but you're showing me his website and you're like i want to copy i told him this i told him this i told you this right because mm-hmm. your website's really cool you have a very the layout is the aesthetic very it's the is great. it's cool the burbage, the
1: burbage. The burbage and aesthetic I yes i remember
4: it i remember it distinctly and i've never seen it since because i don't have a reason to go on your website uh, but of course
1: uh, no <laughs> no it was
2: like the many and it was about like the about is like the many talents of billy jensen or like the many it's
4: very like it? um a series of, of unfortunate events. Yeah,
1: season, yeah. Like, it's it's. it's some, I don't know. I don't know what it says. I love to it. I if love you, it. Yeah.
2: But then Billy and I became friends. Should we tell them where we went? When? After we became friends. Yes. We went to Jumbo's Clown Room. <laughs> clown. Oh yeah. Okay. So we were like, we're gonna be friends now. Let's go to Jumbo's Clown Room, and, and we're by gonna the talk, way, we're
1: for, gonna talk
4: true crime. Yes.
1: And for anybody that doesn't know what Jumbo's Clown yeah, Room is, y- explain it. Jumbo's Clown Room is probably one of the best. Uh, most famous. I don't even want to it's call not it a strip, strip club. club. It's like a burlesque club. It's like a burlesque club. Yeah, because aren't
2: they? They're they're they're, they're closed. They yeah. have tops and tops. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I'm so drunk it's, every time they I go don't there. wear. They they have to wear. They have to cover up everything.
1: You, Cor- Courtney Love dance there. David Lynch used to write scripts from the bar there. That's I so mean, cool. It's like it, it's, it's iconic. A, it's a very Courtney cool place. It's iconic. There? Yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah,
4: like in the nineties. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Not before that. Probably, probably late eighties.
4: Oh, I didn't know it's been around for mm-hmm. so long. Well, they haven't redone anything inside. Really. It's a <laughs> very, it's a very interesting place. Like, highly recommend going to if you ever come to LA. Yeah, if you ever come to LA. So you guys went to Jumbo's Clown Room. Big, that that yeah. was like the bonding experience. Exactly. And then the podcast came up you were telling me you're like I really want to start a pod like a true crime podcast I wonder who I should do it with Well obviously
2: I was like trying to get you to do it with me <laughs> and Jack and I had been friends we'd never worked together
4: never worked together but
2: uh she Jack knows that I'm a neurotic super hard worker will never let anyone down and I knew sh- anything she touches will be successful yes so it was like a recipe for success
4: but you kind of pre- you're like I don't know like I kind of want to do this thing but I don't know and I was like wait a second. I love true crime. Mm-hmm. I wanted to start a true crime podcast. Nobody'll ever take me seriously doing it myself. So well, and then we put our heads together. We're like, what are we missing? We're mis- we're missing Listen.
2: I have credibility because I produce shows, but Billy's got like the real credibility You've and got street cred, and true crime is mostly female fans, and we were not going to fly just us. Let's be real.
4: No, they needed a man to lust over. Exactly. Enter Billy Jensen. <laughs>
2: they needed a man to lust over and women to relate to. Yes. So it's like a winning combination to have all three. But um, we took Billy. T- to drinks. drinks at the mm, Roger we'll, room. Yes.
1: Yes. And, and he th- was
2: like, tell me what you got. And we were like, sup. And me and Jack were like brainstorming at Soho House all day, talking about it. We had finally, no,
4: no, we, we had, had two brainstorm- meetings. We were brainstorming. I think when we first started talking to you, we didn't have the idea for the first. three. No no, 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 no. He's no, like, no, what's no, your no, idea? No, I, and said, like, I said, I hmm. said, well, what's
1: the hook? Yeah. I don't want, there's a million true crime podcasts out there. What are we going to deliver? That's different. Mm-hmm. I like both of you. Oh really? I would love to hang out with you, you. me,
4: the stranger. But (laughs) he's like Jack. I like your three hundred thousand followers. Your three hundred thousand (laughs) followers. That's
2: a recipe for success.
1: Retired emo kid. And you like
2: my work ethic.
1: And I like your work ethic. But what are we going to do? What's going to be? I know how to
2: produce a TV show. So I know how to produce podcast. What's going to
1: be different than any other true crime podcast? And then you guys went back to the woodshed.
4: For like months uh, Jack and I took took a long time It was a year between when we first Started like brainstorming to when We actually released the first episode Of the podcast because we were brainstorming We're like what's the hook what's gonna make us different We're going back and forth and one day when we're Just hanging out we were both talking I was talking about Nanette and I was like oh it's weird that i like uh, a mother of one of my like girls on my cheerleading team like killed her husband and then you were talking about your story and we're like it's pretty crazy that there's so many people that are one degree away from something mhm but you don't really talk about it no
2: and it's it, i think it really just shapes you in a lot of weird ways and i mean like the episode we did today i mean she s- discovered the body of somebody and it shaped Trajectory of her life, life, yeah, you know, and because it didn't, it's not just like, oh, I saw a body, no big deal. She was, she had trauma from it, and then it, she ended up working in mental health and working with people who see bodies and are traumatized by it. And I think the idea that these are inconsequential things, I think, is crazy. Like this, these are our worst fears realized, right? And um, I think. I think we're all, we all feel really impacted by anything close to us. Right. You know, whether it's like gossip or, you know, something traumatic or something scandalous. Like we all sort of like, even if you're, if your best friend gets cheated on, you feel that, that reverberates. Like it's when you're connected to stuff, it's almost like it's happening to you.
4: Yeah. If you're not a psychopath,
2: if you're not a, yeah. If you, if you have empathy, you you, like bleed for people. Right. Yeah. a small minor, like listen, we talk about psychopaths a lot. Statistically, there aren't that many, so
4: I think we're right? speaking to the it's majority. Supposed to be one percent, yeah. But is it is it more? Because how do they really know?
1: I don't know. Have you read the psychopath test? Yeah,
4: I haven't read it in a long time, but I have read it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, yeah, they become CEOs or or killers. Yeah. That's what happens? Or you date them, or politicians. I wish yeah. I mean,
4: Sometimes I do wish I was a psychopath. I feel Dude, like life would be a lot easier, be so for yeah. much a richer, psychopath. so much richer.
2: And you didn't need probably, friends. You didn't need human connection. I know you're. They're not happy, but you'd be. They don't need happiness. Content-ish. They don't need happy. They just live for pleasure. Yeah. They just do what's pleasurable. They don't need happiness. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that.
4: Not needing happiness? Oh. That sounds nice. Well,
2: I mean, I clearly don't need it because I haven't had it
4: my whole life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Stay, stay tuned. I'm working on that. In therapy, guys.
4: Yes. Yeah, stay tuned for <laughs> Alexis's next therapy
1: session.
2: Um, okay. Well,
4: I feel like that was a good amount of killing time. We killed, we
2: killed some time. We killed time. 11 minutes in 24 seconds.
1: I think we killed some time there.
4: Is that Should that be our sign-off? I think we should. Well,
1: I think we killed
2: killed enough time.
4: I think we killed. We'll figure it out. Somebody give us a recommendation. Yeah.
2: Thanks for uh, killing some
0: time with us. Yeah. Yeah. Adios.
2: Ta ta. Killed some time, bitch.
0: (laughs) Is America's primary system working? Is the electoral college still the best process for electing a president? Could a third party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen.